And the children are dismissed for Children's Church. Yes, I did not forget. Good morning. Welcome to Garden Chapel. If you're here for the first time, a special welcome to you. We hope you feel at home in our church, a church of broken people who serve a perfect Savior. And uh, that's why we're gathered here today as we continue our Advent series entitled Come and See. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Isaiah. You'll be reading a couple verses in chapter 52 of Isaiah and then chapter 53. Next week, give you a heads up, uh, Pastor Peter will be preaching. He will continue our series, Come and See. And today, our focus is on Isaiah 52 and 53. Well, let me begin by, as you turn there, telling you like how it kind of works in our house when my wife and I go on a trip. My goal is to get to our destination as fast as possible. Amen, I hear all the men say. So what I do, I, found, uh, I find the shortest route and then with the least amount of obstacles because I'm all about conquering the trip. My wife, on the other hand, thinks about interesting stops we can make along the way. Beautiful park here. Cute store there, and so we have to compromise. As we are closing in on Christmas, I suggest to you and to myself that we take my wife's approach, and we call it Advent. Advent, meaning coming or arrival, is a purposeful slowing down as we prepare our hearts for the coming of Christ. And so I am seeking to help you by, number one, writing an Advent devotional. Uh, the one for this week is out in the lobby. And number two, by presenting you a few messages from God's Word that hopefully will help you to slow down and prepare your hearts for Christmas. So last week we made a stop in Isaiah 9. Today we look at Isaiah 52 and 53, and we're meditating really on the purpose of Jesus coming. So why did Jesus come to this earth? Why was he born as a baby in the first place? Now, as we will read this passage in a few minutes, you will not find the name Jesus. This is about a servant. The servant is not Israel, because this servant is cut off. Israel was never cut off, still remains Today, the servant is not the prophet Isaiah himself because this servant here dies for the sins of the world. This servant is the promised Messiah. This view is confirmed by the New Testament. I'll give you two quick examples. Jesus himself, in the book of Luke, quotes a portion of Isaiah 53 and then says, this scripture must be fulfilled in me. So he is declaring himself the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. And then later on, the book of Acts, chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch, as he is reading a portion of the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 53, asks Philip, about whom does the prophet say this? And, I, and Philip responds, this is the good news. This is the good news of Jesus. So what we have here is Isaiah prophesying 700 years before the coming of Christ about his coming into the world. And it is so specific that only God could know. 
which proves that the Bible is not an ordinary book, but the very word of God. So let's turn to Isaiah 52, beginning in verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and he shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? They made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt... He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear the iniquities. And therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for transgressors. Father, as we read this and meditate upon it, we are truly treading on holy ground. And I pray, Lord, that we will feel that, sense that, that this is a prophecy about Messiah, about the Son of God, about the babe in the manger who became the crucified, resurrected, exalted, glorified Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you will awaken in our hearts worship for him and for him alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 53 answers the question, how can God love sinners, you and me, and love at the same time his holiness? How can he give grace and mercy to those who spurn him and yet at the same time punish their sin? 
And the answer, of course, is God gives grace to us sinners by punishing Jesus Christ, his son, in our place. He took the penalty upon him that was ours. Now, the problem is, the challenge is that most of us here know and acknowledge that this is true, that Jesus died in our place. Most of us have come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. However, oftentimes we lack an emotional connection with this truth. We know with our minds that Jesus died in our place, but we're not always moved in our hearts. And as a result, when Christmas comes around, Christmas becomes humdrum, routine, that which we celebrate every year. Yeah, Jesus came into the, into the world to save sinners. Praise the Lord. My prayer is very simply this, that this morning as we use our minds to meditate on why Jesus came and the answer is right here in the text, that as a result, our hearts are stirred, perhaps in ways that it hasn't for a long time, so that we will worship Christ the Lord. There are two things that we find in this passage about Jesus. First of all, Jesus' humiliation. And then Jesus' exaltation. It goes down, 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 and then up, up, up. And both the humiliation and the exaltation of Jesus are found in verses 13, 14, and 15, summarized and then unpacked in the rest of chapter 53. So look in verse 13 of Isaiah 52. Verse 13 my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and he shall be exalted. Verse 15, kings shall shut their mouths because of him. Christ will be exalted. Christ would receive a place at the right hand of the Father, a place of honor, because he would bring salvation to many, not only to the Jews, but to Gentiles as well. Verse 15 begins by saying, so shall he sprinkle many nations. But Jesus' exaltation would come through incredible suffering. Verse, thir thir uh, excuse me, verse 14. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. After his beating and his flogging and his crucifixion, Jesus no longer looked like a human being. The humiliation of Messiah. The beginning of chapter 53 take us back to the beginning. We're, found, we're told in verse 2 that he grew up before him like a young plant. There appeared to be nothing remarkable about Jesus' origin. The Messiah was born like you and me, grew up like a young plant, to live an ordinary life unto, until the beginning of his ministry. He was known as the carpenter's son. 
He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. Israel knows two seasons of rain, the early rain and the latter rain. And in between, the climate, the weather is hot, and the ground is dry. And Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses that image of dry ground to describe the spiritual state that Israel was in at the time of Jesus' birth. Jesus, who is also referred to in Zechariah as the root of David, would be born during a time that God's people walked in utter darkness and walked away from God. The temple worship had become a joke, and religious leaders were legalists to the core. Isaiah continues and says, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. Sometimes you see pictures of Jesus as, a, as an adult with just this wonderful golden flowing hair as a super attractive, well-built man. Messiah, according to Isaiah 53, was not gloriously handsome. There was nothing in the way that he looked, his exterior, his appearance, that would draw people in. No beauty, no majesty. In fact, verse 3 says, he was despised and rejected by men. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Most of the Jews rejected him. Religious leaders hated him, plotted to kill him from the very start. The innocent, perfect, holy, altogether lovely Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, despised and rejected. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus was fully God, but also fully human. And in his humanity, he felt the pain of that rejection by his own people, whom he came to save. He was treated as outcast. Isaiah says, as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. I remember years ago being in a grocery store, watching a man sitting in a wheelchair with an incredibly deformed face. And I watched how others walking past him literally turned their heads away from him as if they were looking at a mangled body on the site of a car accident. We tend to look away from that which is ugly and undesirable, as if it does not deserve our attention and our respect. That's how they treated Jesus, the perfect Son of God, as an outcast. Isaiah says in verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He did not only carry his own sorrows and his own griefs, 
But every sadness that we experience, all the pain that is ours was placed as a burden on his very back. Remember how in John 11, right before Jesus raises Lazarus from the tomb and shouts, Lazarus, come out. We get this insight into the heart of Jesus where it says he was deeply moved when he saw his sisters and those who were present weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit, troubled, and he wept himself. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows on top of the ones that are his own, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Look at him dragging his own cross through the streets of Jerusalem, this blasphemer, because that's how most Jews saw Jesus, convinced that they actually did God a favor by sentencing this man to death. When in truth, they were the blasphemers, as many still are today, where Jesus has been reduced to a curse word, belittled, trampled upon. But he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. Think about those words. Pierced, crushed, reduced to powder. Crucifixion was known in Jesus' days as the most cruel and the most disgusting penalty that existed. At the site of execution, the criminal would be nailed to a cross. They would take iron spikes five to seven inches long and drive them, not through the hands, but through the wrist. Then the cross was pulled up and put in a straight position. The feet were taken and placed on top of each other and nailed to a wooden footrest. Death would usually occur in a matter of hours, depending on the severity of flogging that always preceded crucifixion. In order to breathe, the victim would push his feet down on the wooden footrest to lift up his body. This, of course, caused excruciating pain. And only a limited amount of oxygen would fill the lungs. Usually, the victim would die from suffocation. Jesus did this. This, this is why he came for our transgressions and for our iniquities. For our transgression and our iniquities. At the cross, our sins were put on Jesus' back so that the Father 
treated him now as sinner. We call that imputation, a transfer of sin and guilt from one person to another, and the greatest exchange ever, the transfer of the righteousness of the perfect Son of God transferred from Jesus to us. So that now the Father sees those who have accepted Christ's offer clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, loves us like he loves his his son Jesus, treats us like he treats his son Jesus. And all of that occurred on the cross. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he who knew no sin, Jesus, was made sin for us so that we will become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Jesus, like a sponge, absorbed the full wrath of God over our sin so that the Father turned his back on his own Son, but you and I could be forgiven and restored to God. Healing takes place. As Isaiah says, by his wounds we are healed. The focus here is on spiritual healing because in the beginning of Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah describes the nation of Israel as being sick from head to toe, spiritually sick, covered with sin, in need of healing from Messiah who would take away their sin. Verse 6 makes it very clear why this needed to happen to Jesus because all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Notice the sweeping statement. All of us, everyone. By nature, we do not seek God. By nature, we want to do what we think is right. By nature, we will never choose salvation. Our condition is hopeless. But praise God, verse 7. Or verse 6 at the end, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Before the foundation of the world, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit agreed to this grand plan of redemption. A world that would mark no more sin, no more suffering, no more death, no more pain. That is why Jesus came. And that's why he came for you and me. Do you believe that? Verse 7 takes us back to the mock trials that preceded Jesus' crucifixion. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Jesus underwent six trials Three were Jewish, three were Romans, all six were illegal. During those trials, he was humiliated, belittled, beaten with fists and sticks, spit on, stripped of his clothes, and stripped of his friends because they all left him. But, like a lamb, that is led to the slaughter like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, 
he opened not his mouth. He did not defend himself. He did not resist any of this. He resigned himself to the plan of redemption that now was set in full motion. Don't ever think of Jesus being a helpless victim. Think of him as the shepherd who willingly laid down his life for a sheep. Remember the words of Pilate to Jesus? When he appears before Pilate, Pilate says, you have no clue who I am. Do you know I have the authority to release you or to crucify you? What does Jesus say? You have no authority unless it's been given to you from above. By oppression and judgment, verse 8, he was taken away. Christ was sentenced, taken to Golgotha, and crucified. Cut off from the land of the living means killed. The word denotes a violent death. He made his grave with the wicked. He died a criminal's death with criminals, transgressors, reprobates on either side of him. Although, verse 9b, he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. This perfect, holy, righteous Son of God who came to this earth to restore a relationship with the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ was slaughtered as a lamb because he loved us, because he loved the glory of God's name, because he knew there was no other way. That's why he came. Amazing the details with which Isaiah pictures Jesus' humiliation. When you ask the question, who nailed Jesus to the cross, what would your answer be? Would you say the Romans? They certainly were the ones that actually drove the nails through his hands and his feet. You could say the Jews because they falsely accused them. You could say us because, as the song says, it was our sin that held him there until it was accomplished. All of that is true, but Isaiah gives a deeper reason, and it is shocking. Verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, he has put him, Jesus, Messiah, to grief. It was the will of the Lord. The Father could have stopped it, but he did not lift a finger to help his own son. When Peter preached the sermon on the day of Pentecost, he says to the Jews, this Jesus delivered, listen carefully, according to the definite plan, plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and you killed by the hands of lawless men. In other words, you killed him, but the Father planned it. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He put him to grief because he knew there was no other way 
to restore sinners to himself, to maintain his love for his holiness and his love for sinners. In this passage, we go down, down, down. But in verse 9, we start the way up. We were told that he was a rich man in his death. After Jesus' death, Joseph Arimathea asked permission of Pilate. Together with Nicodemus, he took Jesus' body down, laid his body in a new grave in a garden near Golgotha. Significant. Why? Because after crucifixion, the Romans would take down the body of those criminals and throw them on the city garbage dump outside the city called Gehenna. The father honored the son by giving him an honorable burial. And we're on the way up. Because death was not the end. Look at verse 10. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, again, we're talking crucifixion, humiliation, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The father raised the son from the dead, signifying that his death was sufficient payment for sin, and his days were prolonged. I hope to see my offspring. We have a joke in our house. I always like to take pictures, and when our kids come over, I say, let's, let's take a picture. And I always say, for posterity's sake. <laughs> we don't have any grandkids yet. I hope one day God will give them. And we will enjoy them. Will I ever see great-grandchildren? Probably not, because I'll be gone by then. But Jesus saw his offspring. Why? Because Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Death could not hold him. The payment was sufficient. And the father started this process of the exaltation of Jesus by not only giving him an honorable burial, but raising him from the tomb on the third day. And look what it says in verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, describing the horror of the cross, he shall see and be satisfied. This reminds us of Hebrews 12 that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. He endured the cross because he knew on the other side of the cross was joy, satisfaction. What kind of satisfaction? The pleasure of looking out over a great multitude of people from every nation, from all tribes, tongues, and peoples and languages who believed in him and on the basis of his blood are now Forgiven. By his knowledge, verse 11, shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. That is why Jesus came. And that should be in our minds, but even more in our hearts hearts as we move slowly but surely to Christmas. 
You will not worship him if you don't understand your need for him and what it cost him to get you there. There is no other passage in the New Testament or in the entire scriptures that summarizes this humiliation of Jesus downwards, downward even more than we can imagine and his subsequent exaltation and glorification and Philippians 2, where we are told that Jesus, though he was God, did not use this to his own advantage, but instead he emptied himself and made himself nothing, giving up all his divine privileges, took the form of a humble servant was born a human likeness, humbled himself by becoming obedient, by becoming obedient to death, yes, to death on a cross. You could not go any lower than that. The law said, cursed is a man who hangs on a tree. And Jesus took that curse willingly upon him, even though he never did anything wrong himself. For you, for me. And then Paul says, because he was willing to be humiliated to the death of the cross, therefore, it's a glorious therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So where do you fit in Jesus' story? Because your story can be part of his story. A story that in which you're no longer defined by your past, by the choices you've made, or the sins you've committed, but by the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. A story where you don't need to feel any longer trapped by your circumstances, by your misery, but you can live with hope because you belong to him. How do you make all of this yours? Very simple, by receiving the gift of salvation that God offers you this very moment. You cannot save yourself. You cannot justify yourself. Doesn't matter how good your life is, it will never be good enough because demands perfection, and the only perfection that is in this world is God himself, and the only perfection that we need is the righteous, perfect righteousness of Christ, credited to our account as Jesus took our sin upon himself. So trust in what he did for you on the cross, and all of this will be yours. I want us to pause here 
And I want to give you just a few minutes to silently come before the Lord and acknowledge what he's done for you. And if you here this morning say, I have never, ever come to a place that I have thanked Jesus for dying on the cross for my sin and received forgiveness and salvation, let this be the morning. Acknowledge your need for him. Thank him for dying on the cross for your sin and receive his forgiveness. Let us pray. Please stand and sing with me. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. sing at church. We'll give you all the glory. We'll give you all the glory. We'll give you all the glory. He Yes, Lord, we will give you all the glory. Give us a blessed Advent and a most wonderful Christmas in which we honor and praise you for coming into this world and saving us from our sin. And may it so fill our hearts that we cannot help but tell everyone we meet that Jesus has come into the world to save sinners. We praise you and we love you. And in your precious name we pray. Amen.